Good morning. I'd like to welcome you to the Outdoor Extension Pathway Community Church. Uh, people are still filtering in and getting in different places and uh, outside, inside, whatever seems to work best for you. We're just very glad to have this connecting opportunity, um, even though it's slightly distant and not full of hugs. Uh, hopefully our hearts are. And uh, hopefully as well, throughout the week, we're coming up with creative ways or taking advantage of ways to keep in touch with each other. Uh, during this time, we don't really want to be isolated or feel that way. Uh, we want to seek out connections. Uh, a couple things just to draw your attention to before Aaron comes and leads us in a few songs. Uh, congratulations are in order. Where's Grandpa Dakin? Okay, Grandpa Dakin's way out there. Uh, Kayla had uh, 8.22 at 6.33, Caspian James Dakin. So I guess Satoria is an official aunt, Satoria now, and uh, everything is going well from what I understand. So uh, we rejoice at the new life that's there. Um, also, I mentioned last week that we were going to be installing a ramp for a very needy situation in town. Uh, the first half of that is complete and the ramp pieces are assembled and uh, we had a team here uh, yesterday that did that and this Tuesday at one o'clock in the afternoon, if you're able to help and would like to, uh, they're going to meet here at the farm, get all the tools and the ramp pieces together and then head over to the job site. So that's one o'clock Tuesday. If you'd like to be part of that, come up afterwards, talk to me. Uh, and, and we'll make sure we have enough team to get that uh, ramp put in. So it's good to be able to do a hands and feet type project, even when hands and feet camp isn't even happening because people's needs are, are still out there. So if you are aware of anything that comes along need-wise, please pass that along and uh, we may be able to do a similar thing to what we just did as far as getting a small crew together uh, to do that job. I know several of our people are out on vacation and several of the biggest liars of Pathway, I mean the avid fishermen, um, are up north fishing right now and I joined them for a little bit. So they're out enjoying some of that and I know others are uh, other places as well. But I'm thankful that uh, you're around and you're here and you've chosen to take this time to worship our Lord. Uh, let's look to him in prayer. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that um, nothing that happens in this world is a surprise to you. It's not out of control. In fact, Lord, everything is being worked together in your sovereign plan. And even the things that seem to be so evil and so wrong and so pointless from our understanding, Father, from your divine perspective, you can take those, redeem them, and work them for good. And Father, that's why we come to worship you to see a God and know a God personally that's able to even take the evil and mean it for good. And Father, as we sing praises to you today, whatever, wherever our heart happens to be, however low we happen to be, or even how high we happen to be if things are going well, uh, may you be the one that we fall to, that we cling to, that we um, realize is the source of all that we have. Father, the breath that we breathe every moment is a gift from you. May we return it back to you with songs of praise today. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's pray to the Lord one more time before we look into his word. Father, I just ask that you would open our hearts and minds right now, that you would give us insight, you would give us encouragement, direction, correction, Lord, whatever it might be uh, that we would need from you this hour. Uh, may your Holy Spirit really be present. May we know it, may we feel what he has to tell us, Lord. And I just pray that you will strengthen us and encourage us in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Part of the theme that we've been talking about is the disruption of normal. Um, and that's the world we live in right now. It seems like there's always something going on. Um, pandemic, and I heard rumor that this might be an election year as well. Um, throwing everything, and, and normal doesn't seem to exist anywhere we go. And when we lose normal, sometimes it pulls back the curtain on our faith. It might strengthen it. It might dampen it. It may even cause us to turn our back on it. And as we spoke about many, many weeks ago, the different temples in Scripture, we're kind of between the first and the last temple, looking at the journey that we are on to that final place of glory where God himself is the temple. Uh, so we've looked at many things, and you can look in your notes. This is our corona to-do list, that challenge to courageous living, to not let our faith change or let it change in a positive direction uh, as we go through this time that our country is facing and the world is facing as well. So we looked at lawlessness that, that uh, we see every day everywhere, but the fact that many Christians are going to give in to lawlessness and just throw the government and regulations and authorities out in lieu of doing their own thing because it makes sense to them. We looked at lovelessness, the, the, the prayerlessness of people. The greatest act of love we can do is to pray for other people. Uh, during this time, it's a time where people need to draw near to God, but we find, as Barna Research said, one in three Christians today have just stopped doing anything in relation to church or connecting or anything at all. Uh, no retreating. Discouragement can be a time when we become pulled away and isolated, uh, where we can feel very alone. And sometimes the presence of God isn't as real to us as when things are normal. Uh, we looked at the indifference and uh, spent a couple weeks talking about faith, that for some during hard times, they seem to step outside the church, step away from their faith. And we looked at Hebrews to see how dangerous that is because it can exhibit a couple different things. In fact, it can show for some folks if they can easily just forget about church, that perhaps their faith was not even genuine to begin with. Because when faith changes a heart, there are certain things that become normal. And one of those normal things is coming together, connecting with other believers. And if I can just cash that in and walk away and just not even be bothered, uh, I really need to take a step back, according to Hebrews, and look at the warning passages and see if I really, true, have authentic faith. Today, we're going to look at to-do number seven, and it's show our love by pursuing approved faith. And we're going to look at what approved faith is this morning. Uh, during this time, this difficult time in this pandemic, uh, it's a time of erosion in some churches of unity. 
Because did you ever notice how not everybody in one church agrees with each other? Is that possible? And is it possible that all the disagreement that we see in the world about how this is supposed to be handled is also represented within the church? We're going to talk a little bit, the disunity that that can cause. The unity, it's a time where contentment and faith can erode as well. So we're going to kind of do an internal look and say, is my faith approved by God? Not by the person next to me, not by the crew that sits outside compared to the crew that sits inside. It's an approved faith where I don't look at anybody else. I don't even think about how others perceive what's going on and their opinions. I say, Lord, am I having an approved faith going through what this world is going through right now? Or somehow have I been tainted? Have I been affected in some way so that my faith isn't what it ought to be? So this is an internal look today. Um, one of the problems that the church is facing in the midst of this pandemic could be considered or, or classified under friendly fire. And some of you military backgrounds, you may know what that is. In fact, most of us may know what that is. Uh, but it's an attack by a military force on friendly or neutral troops while attempting to attack the enemy. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been a victim of this, but I've played paintball every now and then. And sometimes I've had in the past some of my own children on my team. And we're going forward and attacking the enemy, and I get this big welt in my back. Oh, Dad, sorry, didn't see you there. Boom! And I got it. Friendly fire. In a, in a situation where it's not paintball and things are a little bit more high stakes, it can be a horrible thing. When it happens in the church, it's devastating. When we stop realizing who the enemy really is and we begin to shoot at each other. This phenomenon of uh, friendly fire was almost non-existent in the days of hand-to-hand -hand combat. Because when you're that close, you know the enemy. You see their eyes, you're fighting with them. But it's said that when the ability to strike from a distance became part of warfare, the friendly fire incidents grew. And I thought about that for a few minutes and it's like that, that striking from a distance. And I don't know why it came to my mind, but it made me think of uh, social media striking from a distance. Have you ever read another Christian post something and you're like, oh my goodness, that's not very loving. That's not very kind, that's not very understanding. I know some people have gotten off of Facebook because I, so I really don't even wanna know some of these things that are being said because this whole phenomenon has caused some Christians who can strike from a distance to think that somehow they're doing good by venting their whole mind. And here's what I think for the whole world to see. And it's like not tempered by love. And I guarantee if they were standing in front of that person, looking in their eyes, and sometimes that kind of a confrontation has come about, I was going to talk about your Facebook post. All of a sudden it changes. Well, what I really meant was, and who I was really talking to was these people, because when you're with somebody, you're, you're going to temper what you say. 
You're going to say it different. But with this social distancing that we have and this, this being far away and being able to type at my screen all by myself and say whatever I feel like. And this is not the main point of the sermon. But this is a reality today. This is one of the kinds of friendly fire that devastates churches, devastates Christians. And, and, and somebody can have a great testimony and think, oh, I really, I really respect them. And then go on social media and it's like, oh my goodness, really? Is that where you're coming from? Is that how you hold your political views? Is that how you, what you think of those that don't agree with you politically? And the friendly fire is devastating for many people. But there's another kind of friendly fire that comes about during the pandemic. And it's not so much uh, seen online as it is an ideological or a difference of the way of thinking about what's going on in the world around us. So as we talk about this unity and, and my own faith in particular and making sure that my faith is approved by God and proved by God first and foremost, we need to agree on who the enemy is. And we need to agree as a church. Who is the enemy right now? Has it changed because of a virus? Or is the same enemy the enemy that has always been the enemy of the church? We read in 1 Peter, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You see, when we agree on the enemy and we know that Satan is trying to devour people, that brings you together. That unifies. You know that the same devouring Satan is after every believer. This brings you together. We have a common enemy. But when that enemy gets clouded, all of a sudden things change. So Satan, when he can't get the whole big group and devour them because they're coming together and they're, they're resisting him steadfast in the faith, he has another tactic, and you can put this in your notes. If I can't take them down that way, I'm going to get them to do it to themselves. And it's going to be a divide and conquer strategy. Divide and conquer. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, you see who the enemy's changed? It's not Satan doing the devouring anymore. And that but if is a conditional statement which is assumed is true. So in other words, as he's writing to these people at the, at the uh, Church of Galatia, he knew they were doing this to each other already. He knew that they were biting and devouring. But if you are, since you are, and so you, <clears throat> excuse me, you bite and devour one another, watch out. You are not consumed by one another. In other words, mutual injury, even if I win. You ever get in a real big argument with somebody? Imagine that. And you won. And you, you got this argument and you're yelling and, it's, and you, you got the upper hand. How good do you feel? Not usually very good. Because when you're in anger and your uh, hostility towards others, even when you win, you lose. Because there's a mutual injury that takes place when there's friendly fire and you're fighting with somebody else. That word bite and devour uh, was used at the, in the day of two animals that were like 
cats and dogs, we say. You're fighting like cats and dogs. And if you've had children and if you've ever gone on a long road trip and they're all in the back seat and they start to bicker and fight with each other, that makes the trip one of the most troublesome, irritating trips that you could ever imagine because the children are biting and devouring each other and we gotta stop that. And then what, is, you know, what does dad usually say in the front seat? If I have to come back there, you know, it's like, really? You're gonna get out of the driver's seat, jump in the back and beat on your kids? I don't think so, and they know you're not gonna come back there. So, you know, there's all that stuff, and, and, and all you really want is, is, guys, will you just stop fighting? That's it. Because when you know when you're fighting, nothing good can happen. There isn't any possibility of family enjoyment when you're biting and devouring each other. So it's just stop fighting. Stop your arguing. Why? Because we know the minute that stops, good things can happen. Encouraging things can happen. The purpose of the vacation can be realized. You might have just fought your way through some of the greatest scenery that you could have ever seen, but you didn't see it because you were biting and devouring. That can happen in the church if it can happen in the back seat of a car. Is that the arguing, the infighting, the differences of opinion. When the church is at its best, there is nothing more powerful in this world. But the opposite is true. When the church is at its worst, there is nothing more destructive. When Christians can't seek unity above and beyond their differences. You see, Satan realizes in his plan, his design, is to destroy relationships within a family, destroy relationships within a church, and if he can do that, he knows that there's not going to be anything good that happens. Because relationships are the building block of families, a country, a church. They need to be together. And in fact, in 2 Corinthians, we read these words. Anyone whom you forgive, Paul says, I also forgive. Feel the relationship thing? Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. The one who says, I want to get you to bite and devour each other if I can't be the one to do it, just so you're out of commission. And this happens worldwide. It's not just a U.S. sort of thing. If you were in China today, you would have two different options as far as your church attendance would go. You could either go to an underground church or a church that's called the Three Self Church, which is a registered church which is um, kind of under the, the, you know, the oversight of the government, but still has a, some freedoms to be able to preach, but not as much as an underground church would. Do you think the three self-church and the underground church dwell together harmoniously? I was talking with a, a missionary who's been there, and he's spoken with people, Christians, in the underground church, and they say something like, you know, we don't trust that three self-church. We don't trust them because they spy and they send spies into our church. Now, they don't know that. They just assume it. And, and you just can't trust them. And the same missionary went to talk to some of the Christians that were part of the Three Self Church. And you say, you know that underground church? I don't get them. Why won't they come out of the closet and declare their Christianity openly? We count it a joy to suffer persecution for Jesus. And we're not afraid to claim it publicly. Why do they run around and hide all the time? 
Can you see them biting and devouring each other? And I'm told by that same missionary that, that strides have been made where the two are coming together and finding common ground and unity. You see, the world, this pandemic that we live in, the ground is ripe for what I will say is called chewing on the brethren. Typically, people don't eat people, okay? That's, not, that's frowned upon most places. But when it comes to spiritually, we can't be devouring and chewing on other people. There's certain realities that are out there in our world today that we all need to acknowledge. The virus that's out there is real. It's not made up. It's not a conspiracy and some fake thing that isn't there and will all of a sudden magically disappear. But it's also not the end of the world because the scriptures paint a very different picture. It's not just like the flu, as some would say. I, in our missionary church denomination, uh, there have been some churches, small churches, who the main leadership has all died during this pandemic, and there is no longer a church there. And as long as the missionary church has been in existence, we've never lost a church because of the flu. The times we're in, there's something real that's happening and we can't bury our heads and pretend it's not there. There's certain realities that are true. But there's also an acknowledgement there's certain differences among us. And these differences can be extreme. And I kind of categorize them into two big groups and it's never easy to do that, never completely accurate. But I'm gonna call the one the separate and sassy. Okay, the separate and sassy group. And they view the same set of realities and they say this, I have rights and the government does not have the right to require me to wear a mask. It should be a choice. Now that same person often will wear a seatbelt and not think twice about it. But because of this one rule, this little four by six piece of cloth is causing great disunity within the church. They say, I think the whole thing is overblown, and I don't even think these masks help. So they say, or sometimes put a religious twist on it, and will say something, this is really an attack on our religious freedoms, and we have to stand and fight right now, and there's churches writing manifestos that in their opinion, any church that really honors God will follow their manifesto. The way they think God has led everyone to fight this separate and sassy. They plow ahead in disregard for those who are complying or resist those that request compliance, separate and sassy. There's some, the second group, that are more united and I'll call them cooperative. And they say, opinions don't matter. It doesn't matter what I think. This is something for the collective good, and we need to follow the best science that we have, even though it's emerging and changing and sometimes wrong. We still need to follow that. In exercising my rights, I don't have the right to possibly compromise someone else's health or safety. So they will say the more united our cooperation is, the sooner we will get past this. They plow ahead with disdain and frustration for those who are not complying. 
So you can see these two very separate. Have you noticed these two different types of people? Have any of you actually seen nasty conversations because of this piece of, piece of cloth? Some, yes, some have seen it in stores, some haven't. Some of you have made, maybe had some very animated discussions with people because of these differences. Your background then often influences your perspective on this. If you've had medical difficulties, you're a high-risk group, or those uh, that are close to you are and they have difficulties, you're more likely to lean to the side of safety and compliance. Perhaps you have had issues with abusive authority and have a basic distrust for the authorities around us. You may lean more to to, more toward the side of non-compliance. So throw into that mix of two big differences of opinions. The mix of political agendas and how that affects it, economic disruption. And you've got a world that's wound pretty tight right now. And I would say that's a mild statement. Bring all those differing opinions into the church. And somehow they'll just all disappear, won't they? Won't churches just all disagree, I mean agree, and just say, you know what, we're going to just, whatever you guys say, leadership, we'll just run with that. It's not so simple. In the conversations I've had with church leaders that are navigating this time, this has been the greatest challenge that they have faced in ministry ever. And some of them in ministry 20, 30, 40 years that the Church of Jesus Christ is dividing and losing their integrity over a piece of cloth. It's caused great division and devouring and judging those of leadership, those on the other side within the congregation. Uh, ministry has become in some churches anger management or damage control because of these wide divergence of opinions. Some are ready, pastors, leadership, elders, deacons, to throw in the towel because the drain is too much. That's a shame. The Church of Jesus Christ, when it's firing on all burners, is the most powerful thing in the world, the most encouraging, the most helpful. Today, our goal is to say, what is my faith like? How am I fitting into this day of controversy and uncertainty? And I'd like to borrow a phrase from early America. Um, ever hear anyone say, mind your own beeswax? Ever wonder what that could mean? Well, and some of you might know, but basically in the day, some of the hygiene and face cleaning things that we have, they weren't there. They didn't exist. So there'd be some blemishes that, that a lady might want to hide. So they would take some beeswax and hide the imperfections. And then they'd be at a fancy thing, and then one lady would think that the other one was staring at their beeswax and looking to see what they're covering and what they're hiding. So the lady who would be a little offended thinks she's being stared at. She said, mind your own beeswax. Don't be looking in me. Look at yourself. And that's the theme of the day. Do not be looking at where other people are and how they're handling it first and foremost. Look to your own heart. What has your faith been like since this whole thing started from the very beginning? Has it changed? Are you judgmental? 
Are you part of the, the, the fighting gang? Or are you looking for ways to unite and encourage and grow your faith during this time? Peter was saying to Jesus once, um, Jesus was saying to Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you're growing, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. That sounds kind of discouraging and depressing. The verse goes on to the, say, this he said to show but what, by what kind of death he was to glorify God. That's huge. But the cool part after that, he says, after saying this, he said to him, follow me. But Peter is kind of like a lot of us who really want to get in somebody else's business. And we want to like point fingers at someone else. So Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? What about this man? Jesus said, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So he's putting the cookies on the bottom shelf, and it sounds like the Chronicles of Narnia where, where Lucy wants to know somebody else's story, and Aslan says, wait a minute, I don't tell you anybody else's story. I'm going to tell you your story, and this is your story. And the encouragement that your story is going to get today comes from death row. Isn't that the best place to go for encouragement? So if I really want to get some good advice about approving my faith, I'm going to talk to someone on death row. Because I'm sure they have all the wisdom that I need. But that's exactly what we have in the book that we're going to look at, in a couple verses that we're going to see today in the book of 2 Timothy. Paul, this is the last thing he's going to write. He is waiting to die. And he has some words for approved faith. And if there's somebody that I think I ought to listen to, it's the Apostle Paul. After all he's been through, and he's about to write the last Thing he's going to say to young Timothy. It ought to be good. It ought to be sufficient because this is it. After this book is done, Paul is done. He dies. He gets killed. So this death row encouragement, what is said is almost as important as where, when, and who said it. And I want to spend a couple minutes just painting the picture of what Paul is like as he's about to tell Timothy how to have an approved faith. He has been, and for your notes, deserted is the first thing. He was, he was writing in Rome, waiting to be executed, virtually alone and isolated, and he said, you know, only Luke is left. After all Paul has done for all of the churches, he is alone at the end. He is isolated, and it wasn't a pandemic that did it to him. He was isolated. In fact, he says this, at my first defense, Paul, this is the apostle, my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. I don't think I have that much spirituality. I'd say, Lord, get them. <laughs> they didn't come to me. I don't want you to stand up for them. That wasn't Paul. But he was sitting in prison alone, deserted. In fact, Demas, who was with him, he says, he's, he's left. Loved the world. 
And he gives some others who have left him as well. Some left for ministry, some just left. In fact, he's sitting there shivering, and, and he's cold sitting in prison all alone. And he says in, his, in this um, book also, you know, it's getting cold. Could you bring me a coat? The apostle who wrote most of the New Testament is sitting in a prison waiting to die, cold and alone, nobody standing up for him. And the second thing about this Paul as he's writing it is death. It's on the horizon. He knows he's not getting out this time. He knows the end is near. For those of us that have experienced loss, you know during that time of grief that death kind of distills life for you. And all of the things that were bothering you and all the little cares of life that seem so important when death comes near, they're not important anymore. They don't matter. And it somehow brings all of life down to a couple little things that really matter. And that's where Paul is. He's got time to think. Cold, alone, deserted, knowing death is coming. So I'm going I'm to give some distilled messages here to Timothy and to the church. Things from death row, a perspective that if you can get what he's about to tell us, you're going to understand how to navigate trouble sometimes. He's also discouraged as he's sitting in the jail cell. You see, the first half of his missionary journey, this was all bells and whistles and all excitement. He'd go somewhere and a new church would pop up and there'd be converts here and there. And he was just, it didn't seem like anything could go wrong on the first half of the missionary journey. The second half, not so much. Not glorious at all. He sat in prisons and wrote letters. The joy of new church excitement was gone. Any news that came to him in his jail cell was bad news. News of churches falling away. False teachers gaining a hearing. Legalism where liberty once flourished at Galatia. Lawlessness now, the order at Corinth. Fighting and splitting the church over doctrine in Thessalonica. He could only write. That's all he had left to do. And boy, did he write. Fourthly, this guy, as he's about to give his distilled message of hope for an approved faith he was disfigured you ever notice as you get older that your body kind of bears all of the judgments of the way that you lived your life any of you athletes say i'm paying the price for the way i played football basketball track or whatever or maybe you didn't eat properly or do things and you feel like oh my body's catching up with me you know, the way we live life and what happens to us often in later years shows up. And so I believe it to be true for Paul. You ever hear of the torture device called a cat of nine tails? Those little hooks on the end, as it would dig into your flesh, would just rip across it, leaving a gaping wound, scars that would follow. And then nine of those, hitting your back, ripping across it. Paul had that happen 39 times. 39, if I did my math right, times nine, that's 351 rips of the flesh across his back. He says, I had that happen five times to me. 1,755 scars across his back. 
I've never seen anything like that, and I doubt you have. Picture the disfigurement just from that. And then you listen what he did to bring the cause of Christ to other people. Countless beatings, imprisonments, often near death, beaten with rods, three times stoned. We're talking big rocks. Shipwrecked three times. Night and a day adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil, hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all these things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches that he loves. Paul's at the end. I think he's disfigured. I think this life has taken a toll on him. So when he says something now, I want you to picture all that true of him. And it's almost as if he pulls himself up in his jail cell. And he's like, but I got something to tell you. I got something that can anchor your faith. And in the first part of Timothy, and I'd love you to read, um, excuse me, read these verses in Timothy. Read the whole chapter, but keep that picture of Paul in mind as he's given advice and trying to help us. And in verse 14, we read these words. And this is as he turns his attention to the church at large. He gives Timothy some things that he should be doing himself. But this is the point where we really need to listen in in 2 Timothy 2. Because he's saying, now I'm going to tell you something to tell to everybody. And the first thing he says in verse 14, remind them of these things. This is the distilled truth as he's looking at death. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Later on, it's called irreverent babble. Basically, stop fighting. Just stop don't quarrel, and they were quarreling over words, but you know what, in the church today, it could be this. He'd be saying from his jail cell, church, stop fighting. Stop quarreling. Stop bickering about your own preferences, your own ideas, your own agendas, and what you think should happen here. Stop plastering it all over social media and demeaning other people. That's not doing anybody any good. That's not putting the cause of Jesus Christ. That's not putting the love and compassion of who I am. And, and, and Paul knows that. And he says, at the end, I'm about to die. That's what I want to tell the church. Stop fighting. And then, on the positive side, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who needs not to be ashamed, or has no need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. I want to look at two words in closing. Approved and ashamed. That approved gave a beautiful word picture to the church, the early church. It told them something very wonderful. It comes from a Greek word, dokimos. And I want everybody to say dokimos. This is your Greek lesson today. You don't pass church unless you can say this word out loud. Dokimos. 
Okay, I saw somebody not saying it out there. Okay, PJ, open your mouth. Dokimas. Okay, dokimas. It's important. It means a lot. It meant a lot to them. It means nothing to you right now, but hopefully it will in a minute. Do your best to present your, your, present yourself to God as a dokimas, one that's approved. And that word picture comes from currency practices um, of early Greece and Rome. When the monetary systems first started, they would use precious metals. They'd have a lump of gold, silver, or stones or something, and they would pay for something with that. And as they would pay for it, uh, they, they would weigh it on a scale. And in Proverbs, you, you hear things about dishonest scales and integrity in business. And some of the unscrupulous would kind of put a thumb on the scale and, and make it weigh more than it really actually did weigh. Later on, coins started to be minted. And these coins were very crude, and they'd have some kind of mold or they'd be stamped out. But the edges would be very irregular as they were taken out of the mold. So what they had to do was kind of smooth the edges out so they could go out into uh, regular circulation. Well, as they would come to you, you'd look and like it wasn't a perfect circle. It, it showed that it was pretty crudely made. So if you were a merchant and you thought, well, there's already one edge that's missing here. I'm going to shave the other edge. I'm going to take a little bit off. And I'm going to keep that precious metal. Because if I can do this enough places and enough times, I'm going to get an advantage. I'm going to make more money. So most merchants then would take it and, and they would shave their coin, shave their coin. So by the time you got it, it was very disfigured. It wasn't an approved coin anymore. So this got to be so bad that in Greece and Rome, they decided to pass, you know how the government passes laws every time there's immorality? And you know how well that works? People find more ways to be immoral to get around the laws. Well, Greece and Rome passed 80 laws to stop the shaving of coins. Well, there were some merchants who were people of integrity who would not shave their coins. And they were called dokimas. No cut corners, no shaved edges, pure. And then they got together with others. So when you went to them, if they had the dokimas seal of approval, they would not take a coin that had been shaved, nor would they shave theirs. And that's the picture as Paul is sitting in prison, is you be a dokimas. Don't cut corners. Don't shave the edges. But you stand in your integrity before God Almighty because you're not quarreling about words. You're not fighting. You're not letting everyone know your opinion all over the place and going over words and words. No, you are worried about what God thinks about you. And that your faith, you give diligence to be approved. You see, through times of difficulty, a lot of Christians shave the edges. And they don't look like they did when the whole thing started. And the goal for each of us in our to-do list number seven is to be able to put the stamp on my faith. Because I have not cut an edge. I have not cut a corner. And I will not cut a corner. Because Jesus Christ is the love of my life. And I will not step down to bite and devour somebody else. I will take the high road. I will paint the picture of Jesus Christ that is awesome. Do your best to present yourself to God as a dokimas, a worker who has no need 
to be ashamed. That word ashamed there literally has the idea as one might feel embarrassment for a disfigurement. Paul was a disfigured guy. And he's like, you know what? This body's shot. I don't really care. I'm not embarrassed by my 1,755 scars. I'm not embarrassed by what the toll of life has taken on my body. But you know what would embarrass me? If I didn't have an approved faith. If my faith was disfigured, that is cause for shame. And this word shame here has the idea not forced to be ashamed. Do you ever know how when you confront somebody who's doing something wrong, they have excuses? Well, you just don't understand. Life has been so hard, and I have to be this way. Or I did this because, and you would have done it too. And it's like when you're forced to be ashamed, somebody comes and takes out every excuse you have and says, that's baloney. That doesn't count. That doesn't count. And God has a way of doing that. And he says, you be a dokimas so that you don't have to stand before me and have me take every excuse out and find out that your faith is disfigured. That you really have cause to be ashamed even though you've deceived yourself into thinking that you're really okay. No, you're not okay. And the light of my word and who I am is going to shine upon you. And I will take away every little excuse that you have for doing what you feel like doing because you feel like doing it and you haven't followed me. Dokimos. Approved. Paul could have lived and did live with a disfigured body. That caused him no shame. A disfigured or shaved faith that cuts the corners is a cause for shame. To do number seven, show love by pursuing an approved faith. A dokimas that's not cutting corners. Oh, we don't have regular church anymore. I'm just going to go and do something else. It's too hard to cut fellowship with others, and I'm just going to pull back. Now, it's fine. finding ways to be the church when it's not easy to be the church. When we need each other, finding creative things. Luke 22, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. You ever feel that way? Satan is demanding to have you. That he might sift you like wheat. It's happening to the church. It's happening to individuals. But I have prayed, you, prayed for you that your faith may not fail. You would have approved faith. But you know, once I look to myself and I get my faith in the right place, guess what my very next thing that Jesus says? And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And I think that means sisters. Strengthen the family of God. That's to do number seven. In a time of pandemic, when people are biting and devouring each other, look at your faith. Is it approved? Do you have cause for shame? If you do, he can fix that in a heartbeat before a merciful and mighty God. And when you do, strengthen the brothers. Don't eat them. Make sure your communication in every way that you do it lets Jesus Christ be the first and foremost that's seen. So that if somebody read your Facebook post, you could turn if they were really there and not have to retract and share the gospel with them bite and devour each other, you will be mutually injured. But when you take the high road, the church glows. Jesus is glorified. People are encouraged. Father, help us in troublesome times.
to be a church who does not cut corners, but has an approved faith that stands tall before you, under your greatest examination, can stand before the Holy Spirit in integrity and purity. And Father, help us to maintain and stay there so that we can then strengthen each other. God, help us. Sometimes we're very discouraged. These times are difficult. We feel alone and we may have other things going on beyond the pandemic and might even look the pandemic. Look, make it small. But Lord, help us where we are to pick us up, to build us, Lord, that our faith is strong and pure, that we have not cut edges before you. In Jesus' name, amen.
What's the Greek word? Dokimas. And then we're going to join Susan and we're going to say Dokimas forevermore. Ready? Dokimas forevermore. And that's the call of the church. Father, take us from here. Help us to be saints and pilgrims in our journey. We are approved. May we not cut corners for the cause of Jesus Christ. May the blood that was shed on us not be in vain. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.